Well, we have been in a sermon series on one chapter of Scripture. We are focusing in on this one chapter for seven weeks. It is Romans chapter 8. And we've been going deep in these passages because they hold deep theological truths. We want to honor Scripture, to study it well. And so every week we have been inviting our congregation to stand, and I invite you now to stand, to hear the Word of God proclaimed as in the words of Romans chapter 8. And Joey Matisic, one of our students, has offered to read our passage for us this morning. Reading from Romans 8. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, But we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. But hope that is seen no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. Thanks, Joey. You may be seated. On the summer of 2018, I was living and working in the Dominican Republic, doing some missions work there. We were working in a variety of neighborhoods at the base of, it was bigger than a hill, but smaller than a mountain, I suppose, Um, a a large hill. And uh, as we were working in these neighborhoods, uh, one of the teams that I was with, we got to the end of one of the days and they said, hey, we really want to climb up this mountain. Will you come with us? Um, I'm not a huge fan of like climbing things and doing outdoor things, but I went ahead and said, yes, I would do that with them. And so as we started, we had a large group and the path was really wide. We were talking together and we were going up, but as it got higher, it also got steeper and the path narrowed on us. So eventually we were walking single file and there were bushes and trees and things like that that were encroaching on the path. And what I found is that as the mountain got steeper, I had to really hone my focus in on what was immediately around me. There were some rocks and and like I had to be careful where I was stepping and I was so focused in on what was going on around me that when I knew I was getting close to the top, I heard some people's voices, but I took that final step and got up to the top and looked over. And what I saw was the full scope of all of the ministry, all of the neighborhoods that we had been working in, they unfolded beneath me and I was able to have a new perspective on what God was doing down in those neighborhoods. It was incredible to see that view. We've been in the sermon series on Romans chapter eight and each week we've been focusing on some pretty intense, heavy theological concepts that we have needed to focus in on in order to understand Things like uh, what it means for us to be adopted as children of God or for the Holy Spirit to make its home in us, like deep theological concepts. But as we hear this passage this morning, in many ways what happens is that the full vista of God's story opens up before us. 
We see truths from the very beginning of creation all the way through eternity. And what it allows us to do is to center ourselves, even find ourselves in the midst of God's story. And once we locate ourselves in this passage and in God's story, what it allows us to do is have clarity about some big questions, questions that we may not ask every day, but that can really plague us, that we can ask over and over again, things like, uh, what does all of this really mean? What does it really mean to be in relationship with God? Why is life so short? Why do we still experience brokenness and futility and frustration in this world if we're walking with Christ? This passage in Romans 8 has a way of shifting our perspective forward. And as that happens, what we find is that the hope of the eternal future God has promised changes how we live today. In order to get there, we need to look at how we got here. And so Paul, in our passage today, drops us back all the way to Genesis, to like the very beginning of creation. Paul writes, For the creation itself was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it and hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. So Paul is talking about creation here, and what he's referencing is a story in Genesis in which when God created the heavens and the earth and he filled it, he put Adam and Eve in this beautiful creation that he had made, and he gave them one rule. He told them not to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Once they did... God then gave a series of consequences to them, but one of the consequences was directed actually at all of creation. This is in Genesis 3, verses 17 through 19. It says, Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken. For dust you are, and to dust you will return. This verdant, robust creation that God had made was subjected to frustration and strain and limitation. And as Paul describes in Romans 8, frustration or futility. This word frustration that Paul uses has its roots in the Hebrew word hevel. Can you say that with me? Hevel. Hevel means frustration and futility, but it also gives us almost the image of like a vapor or a mist. If you can think about spraying an aerosol can, how there's a spray that comes out of it, but then it quickly goes away, that's what hevel indicates. It's a vapor or a mist. Uh, If you remember the story Uh, in scripture where Cain kills his brother Abel. Abel's name is that word hevel. So like when you read it in Hebrew, you know he's not gonna hang around for all that long. (laughs) It's a vapor or a mist. Creation, we read, is subjected to hevel, meaning that because sin entered the world, creation no longer lasts very long. 
It doesn't have the freedom to produce freely and abundantly and easily the way that it did in Eden, and it breaks down shortly after it grows. We see this in the world around us, in our seasons, as we are watching our leaves fall from the trees. Our creation around us is preparing for a season of dormancy, a season, winter, in which it will not produce any good fruit. Creation itself is continually in this process of attrition, of breaking down, of folding in on itself, and we live in the midst of this creation, and in many ways we experience this futility, this brevity, this attrition in our very own bodies alongside all of creation. This finiteness and futility was not here before sin entered into the world. And so what Paul is telling us in Romans 8 is essentially that life is too short. Life is too short for creation. It's too short for us. And he is grappling with the questions of why. For those of us who have been saved by Christ, who have been walking with Christ, it is very easy for us to ask the questions of like, why isn't eternity here yet? Why are we still subjected to frustration? Why do I wake up and my body aches in the morning? Why does it get so cold in the winter? Why? Just why is all of this so so futile? This is something that theologians and scholars and pastors and all kinds of people have been wrestling with for centuries now. And there's a theological concept uh, that explains this feeling of experiencing futility and longing for eternity. The concept is realized eschatology. Realized eschatology. Realized eschatology means that we live in reality. We live today, full life, embodied experiences, and we have accepted and experienced the love, the freedom that God offers us. And also, eschatology points to the end times. It means that we live life now in a world that has been subjected to sin, and we await a coming glory that will be grander than really we can actually imagine. An easier way to say realized eschatology is already not yet. Already not yet. Professor David Briones put together this image that I find really helpful when trying to wrap our head around this idea of realized eschatology. There's this age, and this age contains all of creation, It contains God pursuing his people throughout the Old Testament. And then Jesus enters into the world. Through his death and resurrection, believers are invited into a covenant relationship with God that we get to experience Jesus's full blessings. And yet then we are still awaiting. We are still awaiting the second coming of Christ and the fullness of what God will offer us. This idea is that we have already accepted so many of the blessings of God, but we anticipate and await the full enjoyment of them. There are a lot of different things that fall into this already not yet box. Things like PD preached last week, we are already adopted into the family of God through Jesus. And yet, if you read our verses closely this week, it says that we are anticipating adoption to sonship. What this means is that Jesus has adopted us into God's family, but we're not living in God's home yet. We don't get to see him face to face and experience him in that way. 
Jesus redeemed us. We are already redeemed in Christ. He has wiped away our sin, and yet we are very much still subjected to the sin in the world and in our lives. And so we await the freedom of that. We are already raised with Christ. We're already given new life. And yet until our bodies, which continue to break down, until our bodies are raised with Christ, we won't get to experience the fullness of those blessings. Because we experience the already, the goodness of God, because we experience the already, we yearn for the not yet. The knowledge of Christ, the hope that he has given us, plants within us a yearning and a longing for the fullness of God. Ruth Haley Barton recently wrote a book, and she talks about the experience of visiting family members or friends who you really love who live far away. She said when she's with them, she experiences this like wholeness and goodness and completeness. And then inevitably, when she leaves the visit with them, there's like a sadness and a longing that kind of hangs with her for a few days. She said she recently realized that what that longing is for is for eternity. That like our boundness, our finiteness, our inability to live everywhere with all of the people that we love, that is a marker of this age but it is not a marker of the age to come. That longing for wholeness and completeness gets planted within our hearts and it creates a deeper yearning within us. Paul uses a very tangible image in our passage to describe what this yearning for eternity looks like. He says in verses 22 and 23, we know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. Paul chose the image of pregnancy to describe this experience of both having hope and awaiting its fullness because in pregnancy, new life exists and it is growing, and yet until it can be seen and held and snuggled and kissed by the ones who love it the most, the fullness of that experience isn't here yet, and there is yearning and longing and groaning. If you've been around CPC for a few years, um, I have actually gone through two pregnancies since I began pastoring here at CPC. And it was in 2017 during a Christmas Eve service that I was uh, helping assist in that I actually started feeling the pains of childbirth. Um, I was sitting in our pew in my clergy robe. Our pastor was up preaching and uh, I started feeling those pains and I leaned over to my husband and let him know what was happening. And he's of course like, what do we do? And I was like, it's like we need to go light the advent candles. Let's go do that. <laughs> That uh, after that service, I had a few weeks of waiting, of waiting for my daughter to arrive, and it was a hard few weeks. I was in a lot of pain. I was experiencing those pains frequently, 
And I remember about a week before she finally arrived, our prayer team came and did a prayer service for our staff. This is something they do once a year. It's a really beautiful thing. And so I walked up to one of our prayer ministers and she said, oh, you're getting so close. You know, I'm just gonna pray that this baby comes in God's time. I go, no, you need to pray she comes now. As I, was, as I was walking through that, she was so gracious with me. As um, I was walking through that, what I realized was that there is that yearning and that longing. And once things get uncomfortable enough, once things really get uncomfortable enough, we start really longing for the fullness of the hope that God has given us. The truth is that we have hope today. We have deep hope today because of the future that God has promised us. And it can be easy to lose sight of it when we are feeling the groanings and the longings and the pain, but it is there and the hope is true. Paul outlines two sources of the hope that we await in our passage today, and the two sources of hope are intrinsically bound up together. The first is in uh, verse 21. It says that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. One of my favorite moments in Minnesota usually happens in April or May, and it's that moment when you step outside and for the first time you smell rain. Like after months of the world being frozen and cold, you step outside and you smell rain for the first time. And there are usually some buds starting to come out on the trees and you may even hear some birds starting to twitter and it's this like glimpse of the fullness of what is to come. Every year we get that snapshot and what it points us to is a snapshot of what God will do in all of creation when he restores it to what Eden once was. There will be a time that comes when all of creation is restored and it will not be subjected to futility. It won't break down. It won't be hard to produce good fruit and there may not be Minnesota winters. I'm just naming it. Verse 23 holds our other hope. We wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. This is the other deep, deep hope that we have as we live in the already and we await the not yet. We believe that God has in store the full resurrection of all those whose faith and dependence is in Christ. There is a really... um, a deep proclamation of what this will look like found in 1 Thessalonians 4.16. It says, For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. We have this deep, deep hope written into scripture, promised in God's story, that the futility that our bodies experience will not be an eternal reality, that we will physically be raised again into bodies that will not break down, will not ache over time. They will be restored to their fullness. This passage in 1 Thessalonians shows us the point at which we finally leave the already, not yet, and we enter the age to come the longing and the yearning for eternity with God, reconciled and in wholeness, free from the powers of sin and futility. This is the future 
that we have in store. The book of Revelation paints a picture for us of what this will look like. It says, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. And then he said, write this down for these words are trustworthy and true. It is done. I am the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. Those who are victorious will inherit all this and I will be their God and they will be my children. This is the hope that we have as we live in the already and not yet. The hope of what is to come can give us strength to bear the suffering of today alongside all of creation, which is awaiting the age to come with us. New Testament theologian Michael Bird put it this way. He said, Christian hope looks forward, not vainly, but with confidence in God's promise that they will inherit the world. Looking ahead to the future that awaits us can transform our hope in the present. At a moment while I was expecting my second child, I was going into a week where I just had a lot going on. I had travel, I had speaking engagements, I just had a lot that was weighing on my mind and on my heart. And going into it, I was feeling some overwhelm, um, some, yeah, just a lot of overwhelm going into it. And as I was praying about it one morning, I just had this moment where God spoke to me and I'm, I'm expecting and I'm like waiting all of this stuff. I had this moment where I just felt God speak to me and say, Melissa, you have two hearts pumping inside of your body right now. You have two brains that are thinking and processing and working. You literally have two sets of arms and two sets of legs. What more can I give you? <laughs> What more? What else do you need to know that I will provide? I will give you the strength that you need, the wisdom that you need, the courage that you need. I will provide. I will provide. This is the hope that we have. Paul reminds us that Christ has already provided all that we need. He has gone before us and he has covered everything. There is nothing else that we need when we have Jesus. And when we have that hope, when that is what is inside of us, we then can hope for eternity with God. Ecclesiastes 3 actually like directly speaks to this. Ecclesiastes tells us that God has planted the seeds of eternity in the human heart. We live in the already. Christ has come. As we look out over the vista of God's story from the beginning of creation through all of eternity, we find ourselves right in the middle of God's story, right in the middle of the already and the not yet. 
But that means that we get to lay claim to the promises of God. We get to lay claim to the already, to what Christ has already done through his death and through his resurrection. And that hope in and of itself has the power to point us ahead to all that will come. The closing verses of our passage today proclaim, for in this hope we were saved. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. As I invite the band up, I want us to spend a little time considering what it means for us to practice hope in this season. For us to have Christ rooted deeply within us. And for us to know what his promises now and in the future mean for us. If you're in a season of transition and change, where things seem unclear for how they will unfold, what does it mean that Christ has already gone before you and you have the hope of an eternity with God? If you've recently experienced loss or pain, what is the hope of Christ, which promises resurrection, which promises the fullness of life? What does that mean for you as you practice hope? And for those who are joyful and in anticipation, what does it mean for you to know that Christ has died for you and he is now holding out hope alongside of you? Let us spend some time in worship considering what it means for the seeds of eternity to be planted in our hearts. Amen.